Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We continue to study Peter's life. I looked ahead last week and I think I counted like another five or six episodes about Peter's life before we run out of the stories in the Bible about his life. So we'll be studying it for a little bit longer. Tonight, well, the series is called The Life of Peter, From Fisherman to the Follower of Jesus. And tonight the lesson is called What Does It Take to Stop You? What Does It Take to Stop You? Start off with a question. What would it take to make you change your beliefs or actions? Now, I'm not just talking about spiritually, but if you believe something or if there's a certain way you do things or a certain way you live your life, what would, ta- what would it take for that to change in you? For you to change something you believe or to change something that you do? Okay, so if you trust the person who is trying to influence you to change something you believe uh, or something you do, all right, so if you trust, so really it's if you trust the person, which would mean you'd also need to trust the information, right? We talk about beliefs, if you believe a certain thing, again, not just spiritually things, but it could include spiritually or politically or anything else. It's like, well, this is what I believe, but you hear somebody else, and it's like, well, I'm trusting, because I trust them, I might trust what they say, and so maybe I should consider changing or the way we, we act, okay? What else might would cause you or somebody to change something that they believe or something they do? Lynn? Okay, yeah. That would definitely be somebody that you would trust. It's the Lord. <laughs> if the Lord spoke to you and said, hey, you know, you, you need to change this. Yeah? All right? Amanda? If words and actions didn't align? Okay. You know, you're talking about yourself personally, if you believe one thing but you're not really living it out, it's like, I need to start living this out. Or yeah, some... either okay, either way. All right. Anything else? It would have to be an improvement. It would have to be better than what you're already believing or doing. All right, yeah. These are great ideas, okay? Um, It probably depends also how strongly you believe something, because the stronger you believe something, the less likely you will change, all right? Um, It depends on how right you believe the other person is. That goes back to what Lisa said. Um, Also, the amount of pressure to change, right? Now, we look at that on the negative side. If there's a lot of pressure to change, all right. Now that pressure, I say we look at that negative side. It could be a positive thing. You got some health issues, you know, and your doctor says you need to change your lifestyle if you want to get rid of these things. And and your spouse says jumps on the band. Yeah, you need to really change them. And you don't want to because you like eating that thing or drinking that thing or whatever it might. You know, so the pressure could be there and pressure you'd put on yourself, but in a negative way. And that's what we're kind of look at tonight is what does it take to stop you. Um, we're looking at Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, and the religious leaders are trying to stop them from preaching and teaching about Jesus. And it's not, as far as application, it's not just about preaching and teaching and sharing about Jesus. We had a lot of testimonies about people sharing about Jesus. What would it take to stop you from doing that? So oh, I had never stopped doing that. That may be true. But you know what? A lot of pressure can be put on to stop doing that. And to be honest with you, for some of us, it's because of certain pressure that we feel that maybe we don't do it as often as maybe God leads us to, right? 
So what does it take to stop you or to hinder you from doing what God wants us to do? That's kind of the direction we're going to go tonight. And so as I said, the title is, What Does It Take to Stop You? All right, and, and it makes me think of the parable of the soils. All right, and I didn't put the scripture on your note sheet, but Jesus told the parable of the soils, and he talked about how the farmer went out to sow the seed, and the seed's the word of God. And he sows it, and some of the seed lands on the hard ground, and it never sprouts. Birds come and take it away. He says, that's the devil. Snatches the truth away before it can have any effect. Okay, but you have the seed that falls on the rocky ground, right? Which means that there's rock underneath the soil. Uh, The soil looks good. Seed grows. In fact, sometimes it grows quicker because there's water trapped on top of the rock just under the soil, so it gets more moisture, and so it grows quick. But then when the sun comes... And the roots can't get deep, and the water's gone. It wilts and, 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 and uh, withers and goes away. And he talks about, Jesus talks about how it withers because of no moisture. And he says that specifically refers to people who hear the truth and respond in a positive way, but in a time of testing, okay, they fall away. So that's a negative pressure that can cause somebody to change, Right? what they at least initially believed or tried to believe or respond to or live. And then he goes on and talks about the seed that falls amongst thorns, and they grow up together, but the thorns choke it out. And Jesus talks about that thorns are, can be the worries and cares of life, but it can also be the pleasures of life. Well, that's a good thing. Well, we would think of it as a good thing, pleasure, whatever, that can put pressure on us to change. All right? So anyway... In our story tonight, though, we're talking more about persecution. We're talking about that pressure to stop, to be hindered in doing what God's called us to do. And we know when we study scripture, when we study history, when we look all around the world even today, that persecution is a big deal. We are so fortunate in our country. Even though it's not as easy to be a Christian and live as a Christian and be vocal about being a Christian today as it used to be, it's still nothing compared to the rest of the world. And you've probably heard many stories, not just from Scripture, but from history of people that have been persecuted, but yet the people that really know about it, they say there are more Christians persecuted today than ever before in the history of the church since Jesus was here. And I don't like to think about it, and I hope it doesn't happen, but we could get to the place in this country where there will be persecution. And so this is a good thing for us to think about. What would it take to stop us? All right, so a quick review. Um, last week, we took a look at Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John are going to the temple. The man that's been lame for all his life, 40 years, is healed. He walks and leaps and prays the Lord. A big crowd gathers. Peter preaches and shares the gospel, and then they're arrested. All right, and the next day, they're called before the Sanhedrin, the religious body of the Jewish people. And basically, who gave you the right? Who gave you the authority? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, it's Jesus. You know, the guy you crucified, God raised him from the dead. He really is the Messiah. And uh, so they just threatened him. You know, we talked last week in Jewish law. If someone broke a law, you had reason to believe they didn't really know or whatever, you gave them a warning, all right? Um, Knowing that now that they've been warned, if they go back and do it again, then they would have the right to pursue that even further. The authorities would, okay? So they gave them a warning, said, stop it. Don't preach and teach about Jesus anymore. And Peter said that line about, well, you judge, you know, who's it more important to do what they say, God or you? And he kind of just leaves it hanging there, okay? Obviously implying that we need to obey God, not you, all right? So they go back and they tell everybody what happened. This is just Peter and John, just the two of them. 
So they tell everybody, they have this big prayer meeting. And they pray and they say, God, give us more boldness. And we talked about that. They didn't say, God, protect us. God, keep us from being arrested again. Whatever. They said, God, give us more boldness. And Lord, do signs and wonders to, to, to prove that this gospel is the truth. All right. And it says the Holy Spirit came down on them again. And they began to go out. They just began to speak with boldness. All right. And then we get into chapter 5. And there's a couple things at the beginning of chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. And we won't read into that. But tonight we're going to look at Acts 5, verses 12 to 42. All right, And so we're going to read through that, kind of explain it as we go along. And if you are an obsessive note taker, we're not going to be taking notes until it gets closer to the end of the lesson. So don't worry. All right. We will get to that. So let's jump into the story because, like I said, it's a little bit longer tonight. All right. So anyway, um, starting at verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's Portico. That's a place inside the temple where people could gather to be taught, to learn, to teach. Okay, Room for lots of people together, hundreds and thousands of people together. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So God begins to do signs and wonders. And it's interesting because that's exactly what they had prayed for. They said, God, do signs and wonders and give us boldness. But the thing that's interesting is they began to go out and preach with boldness before the signs and wonders signed up, showed up. They didn't say, God, you do the signs and wonders, we'll start preaching. They just said, God, we're going to do our part and leave your part to you. All right? And so they had prayed for signs and wonders back in chapter 4, verse 30, and God did it. And so um, the, the reason it says that um, it, it's not meant to be a contradiction, but it says something about here that the rest didn't dare to join them, but the people held them in high esteem, but then there were more believers added. This is right after Ananias and Sapphira, okay? We're not going to dig deeply in that story, but that's where God struck some people dead for lying to God in the early church. And so as you can imagine... That plus persecution caused people to think very, very seriously about, do I really want to get involved with this Christianity thing or not? Okay. There weren't half-hearted people. There weren't people that were kind of whiffle, waffling back and forth, how, you know, riding the fence. It's like either I'm with them or I'm not. But because of what God was doing, even the people that weren't with them respected them. Okay. All right. So let's go on now to verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles. Now, this is not just Peter and John this time. This is all of them, okay? Arrested the apostles and put them in public prison, which I find is easy. They're doing all this in public. Everybody is seeing what's happening. They're probably doing that on purpose. People need to know we're serious about this. You need to stop talking about Jesus. You need to stop believing in Jesus and having these public stuff going on. So they put them, they arrest them publicly, they put them in a public prison. It says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So you got the high priest, the main guy that's in charge of the Jewish religion, You've got all the Sadducees. We talked about them last week. They're the main leaders of the Sanhedrin. They're the rich elite. And the thing that's really ironic 
is the Sadducees do not believe in the supernatural. They do not believe in angels. So God used an angel to set, to set, the, uh, set the disciples free. All right? But, you know, it says that the reasoning behind this, the reason it's given here, there's a number of reasons, it says because they were jealous. Why were they jealous of the apostles? I mean, these are the guys that are ruling. These are the guys that have all the money. These are the guys that are in power. Yeah, because God was using them. Yeah. Why else might they have been jealous? Chris? They were taking the numbers of their church away. They're stealing the sheep. I mean, that's kind of funny, but, that, but there's a very much of a truth there. These were the men that were supposed to be of great influence, and people look up to them. But who are the people looking up to now? Who are the people that are having great influence now? It's the apostles because of what God is doing. It's not because of something in them, but because of what God's doing through them. And not only that, but remember, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and they definitely didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, And they'd already told them to stop, and they didn't stop. So there's a number of reasons why they were jealous. Okay, All right, so anyway, God sends an angel to deliver them. There's three times in the Bible where God sends an angel to deal with people in prison. The other one's going to be Peter in Acts chapter 12, and then later on, um, I'm sorry, not where God sends an angel, but where God interrupts people that are in the prison. Paul and Silas in the prison in Philippi. God sends an earthquake that time instead of an angel, all right? But why did God send an angel to release them? Okay. It's another sign and wonder. It shows God's authority and power in spite of what the religious leaders would do, all right? So did he send his angel because he loves his people and he wanted to set them free from the difficulty? You're saying this is a trick question, I can tell. <laughs> I can see it in your faces. Does God, did God love the apostles? Yeah. Did he want to set them free because he likes to bless his children? <laughs> you guys are like, this is a trick question, I can tell. It's so they could continue to preach the word. Yes. And, and what I said is true. God loves his children. He loves to bless his children. But that's not the primary purpose. In fact, we're going to see that God did this. And I'm sure they were all excited, but the end result is they're going to be beaten. Okay? And they're going to be beaten in such a way that some people died from because of shock and the loss of blood. So, God does do great things for his people because he loves them, he wants to bless them, but that's not his primary purpose. You know, we have a, pur- we have a purpose in this world. And God has promised us heaven, release from everything, justice, all that kind of stuff, reward. But this life isn't like some people teach just when we give our lives to Jesus and we do the right thing, he's just going to bless us and nothing will ever go wrong. And God's main concern is to make us happy and healthy and wise and prosperous. and all. God may do all those things, okay? But that's not why he left us here, you know? He wants us to enjoy life, but he wants us to carry out what he's called us to do. So, anyway, the angel releases them and he commands them to disobey the religious leaders. And notice that they did it immediately, They had been thrown into prison for overnight, so we don't know exactly when they were released, okay? It just says during the night. But first thing in the morning, as soon as the sun comes up, they are in the temple doing exactly what they got arrested for, all right? And, uh, you know, we have no idea what they thought, but they might have thought, like, aha, the religious leaders tossed us in prison, but God got us out. We're good to go. So they start preaching and teaching, not knowing what's getting ready to come up, okay? 
But um, anyway, immediately and boldly, they began to preach and teach the gospel again. And again, remember, the religious leaders had arrested them publicly, put them in a public jail. Now they're standing in public. And you got to know the people like, what's going on here? We saw them arrested. We saw them thrown in jail. So again, God is making a spectacle here so the gospel can be proclaimed. All right. And uh, as I said, it's just really funny that the, the Sadducees didn't believe in angels, and that's what God used to deliver. Because God could have just opened the jail and let them go out. But and he, Although you'll find that they don't ask them when we read the story. They don't ask them how they got out. They don't want to hear about some supernatural something or other. It's like, let's just deal with the issues here. Okay? So anyway, going back now to verse 21. Uh, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to pre- teach. Now, when the high priest came, this is funny. There's so much humor in Scripture we don't always see. When the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the Sanhedrin, all the religious leaders, 71 of them gathered together for this official court session. Okay? He called all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked. The guards were standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Can you imagine? It's like, we threw these guys in jail. Now's the time. We're going to put the hammer down. You call everybody together. Go get them. They come back. It's like, um, the guards are there. The doors are locked. Nobody's in the jail cell. It's like, what is going on? So, anyway, going on now. Um, Verse, there we go, verse 25. And someone came, don't know who, and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they said, okay, go get them. And they brought them, but they didn't do it by force. That seems to indicate to me that the apostles came willingly. Why did the apostles come willingly? They know they're being called before the principal. Just use an illustration. You know, they know they're being called before the same court that had Jesus crucified, has already threatened them, arrested them the night before. Why are they willingly coming with? Why aren't they putting up a fuss? Why aren't they dragging their feet? Why aren't they saying, no, we're not going? If you're going to take us, you better take us before. Why are they not doing that? They knew God what? That's right. They knew God was with them. And obviously we can't read their minds and it's not recorded in here. But I think it's like, here's another opportunity for us to preach the gospel. You know? So they went willingly with them. Okay. And uh, let's jump now to verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them. And if I was the high priest, how did you get out? They didn't say that. Saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You know, the words they're using, basically the gospel is going out. And it's going everywhere. It's prevalent. They, I mean, everybody's hearing it. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, they had prayed for boldness, and it's, the, the passage speaks very clearly that they did preach and teach with boldness. Okay? So anyway, um, it says, You filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, you're accusing us of murder. And we say, well, of course, you murdered Jesus. But they would say, no, we just had a court case, and this is the way it turned out. But from God's perspective, they murdered Jesus. Yes. All right? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. All right. Now, it's interesting. If you pay close attention, when the religious leaders are talking to them, they never say the, they did not say the name of Jesus. They said this name. We don't we told you not to preach and teach in this name. All right. But Peter makes it very clear who they're talking about. Okay, Um, so they defended themselves. Same thing they've told them before. You did this to Jesus, but God turned around and raised him from the dead. But the thing that's interesting is that they're talking about repentance. Right. And forgiveness of sins. God is reaching out to these religious leaders. You know, and we don't really see much about Sadducees coming to know Christ specifically, although I'm sure there may be some that did. But later in the book of Acts, it talks about how some of these very same religious leaders did become believers. Um, And it's because God never gives up on anybody, no matter how hardened they are. Okay? All right, so, verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Uh, I was listening to a sermon the other day, and it just so happened that the guy I was listening to uh, this sermon was preaching from the passage we looked at last week, all right? And he gave this illustration I thought was so good. He says, have you ever watched one of these action movies and these bad guys are constantly trying to kill the good guy? And it's like terrible things happen to the good guy. Car goes off a cliff, whatever, but he survives. And so the bad guy says, why won't you stay dead? Have you ever seen a movie like that? (laughs) And he says, that's probably how the religious leaders are feeling. It's like, why won't you stay dead? Why can't Jesus, this whole thing with Jesus stay dead? All right. So anyway, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, who was a very, very famous rabbi, religious teacher, okay, in Jewish history. He was a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said, let's talk just among ourselves, okay? And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theudas rose up. Claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they called the apostles in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. So this guy named Gamaliel, again, he's a very famous, well-respected teacher, well-known in Jewish history, uh, secular history. In fact, Paul was one of his students. Okay, he was trained by Gamaliel. And he says, listen, you know, other people have risen up, and these two people that are mentioned, one of them is actually found in, in history, Okay, the other one, um, there's no record of, but that doesn't mean there was a lot of revolts and rebellions and all that kind of stuff. He says, these people raised up to cause problems and stuff, but once the leader was killed, it didn't amount to anything. He says, Jesus, he's been killed. You know, this may flourish for a little while, but it'll probably just disperse unless it really is God. And then you'd be fighting against God. All right. Now, half of what he said is true. 
The half is that if this is really God, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll be fighting against God. But the other half, though, I just want to mention this, where he said, you know, if it's not of God, it'll just disperse. And that is true a lot of times, but not always. Okay, think of the false religions of the world. They're not of God, but sometimes they get stronger and stronger and stronger. I think of Islam. I think of Hinduism. I think of Buddhism. Why do I bring this up? The reason I bring this up is that if we look at what Gamaliel says, it never says that Gamaliel is inspired by God. It might be easy for us to say, oh, let's not worry about taking the gospel to the Muslims or push too hard about doing that. Let's not, you know, if, if it becomes a problem, let's just let, because it's not of God, so eventually it'll just kind of fade away. No, the enemy will keep pushing too, you know. And we do need to take a stand for the truth and for righteousness. Even if it's against, you know, something that's not of God, because it may not just disappear, right? Oh, yeah, well, eventually, exactly. That's what I'm saying, you know. Eventually, God's going to take care of it, but we can't just sit back and say, I'm going to take a hands-off uh, approach because, you know, it'll eventually be gone because it's not of God. Well, no, we want to reach those people for Jesus. Yeah. So anyway, okay, so um, it says that they threatened them again. Don't speak in the name of Jesus, and they beat them. Uh, this is the same word that's used for flogged. This is These are the whips that they use. Not the same thing that Jesus went through. That particular is a whip is a different one where it has bone and, and metal in it, and it would rip the flesh from, I mean, it would expose ribs and, and the internal organs. Oh, that was a terrible thing Jesus went through. But that doesn't mean there's something light either. This was a whip that was made with three um, pieces of leather, and uh, their law said that they could not whip them more than, you know, 40 times, so they would only do 39 because they didn't want to break the law by accident, all right? And they had this law where you had to beat them twice on the back and then once on the stomach and then twice on the back and then once on the front. And there were many people that died from this type of beating because of shock or blood loss. And so this wasn't just like we slapped their wrists, okay? They were beaten, doesn't say exactly how much, but that was the normal thing. So here we see things are escalating. They'd been given their warning. They kept on doing it. So they said, now we have the right to punish them. So they punished them. Okay. Verse 41 and 42. Then they left the presence of the council. Let's talk about the disciples. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is Christ. I love that. It's like, they threatened us, they beat us, but we're going to keep on doing it. All right? And, uh, and that is wonderful. The question I have to ask myself is, would I be able to do the same thing? And what does it take to be able to do that? And that's really the focus of what we want to do now, okay? What does it take to stop us? You know, the religious leaders are like, what is it going to take to stop them? Well, they haven't found it yet. They never do because they choose not to give up. They choose not to stop no matter what the threats were. But as we look at our lives and we have pressures on us to not share the gospel, to not live out the life God calls us to, to not walk in obedience, what will it take to stop us from doing all that God really wants us to do? And how can we overcome that? So what does it take to stop you? So a couple of thoughts that I've drawn from this. Now we're ready to put in our note sheets. You know, put our notes in our note sheets, okay? All right, number one, God's people have always faced opposition. It seems like whenever people attempt to do what is right, especially talking in spiritual things, they face opposition. God's people have always faced opposition. But Jesus had told them ahead of time. You know, what they're facing in this story, in Mark chapter 13, verse 9, Jesus said, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to councils. The Sanhedrin was the greatest 
greatest counsel, okay? And you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. In fact, Jesus says, you are going to be persecuted, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be taken before, but I've got a purpose in it. You're going to bear witness. You're going to share the gospel. John 15, verses 18 to 20, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And then in chapter later, uh, John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so as we said earlier, you see all through the book of Acts, uh, New Testament, uh, the parts that talk about what, what, what's happening in the world, uh, church history, um, God's people always face opposition. So we've already said, well, we've got it a whole lot easier than a lot of people do or did or have. But what are some of the ways that we face opposition? Okay, what do you mean by that, Joe? I, I see Lynn and Chris, but they always have good answers, and I'll get to them. <laughs> Who said Judgment. Okay, so what do you mean? People judging us because of our stand? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Okay, so comments like, who are you to tell me what's right and what's wrong or whatever? Okay, yeah. Lynn? That's right. I mean, it's very obvious from what Jesus said and from what we experienced that we are going to face opposition. And we're going to be talking about how we can face it successfully. But what are some other forms of opposition that we may face? Jose? Well, that's a good side effect. Yeah, if we do take a stand, it can encourage other people who are struggling to take a stand. Okay? Chris, you had your hand up. What's another form that this opposition can take? Mm-hmm. Yeah, anytime that a biblical stand is taken or a truth is proclaimed, there are people that are going to push back against it. And it can get to violence and to destruction and things like that. I mean, we see that a little bit, as Chris said this last week from people responding and reacting to, against churches because of their stand for life and the reversal of Roe versus Wade and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Amanda. They can't even have what? Yeah, some places in the world where you can't have, have Bibles, not so much in our culture, but Amber. Yeah, in the public school system. Mm-hmm. Yes, a lot of things in our culture really push back. You know, we mentioned this last week that the big thing is we need to be tolerant, we need to be tolerant, but nobody wants to be tolerant of Christians and Christianity and biblical truth. I'm going to take uh, Sonny's comment, and then we better jump forward or we're never going to get finished tonight. Go ahead. Yes, there's been a lot of pushback over the last 10 years or so for prayers at graduations, prayer at athletic events, in any public forum. In any point, well, there's a lot of things we could give as examples, but we do want to finish the lesson tonight. So, anyway, um, so anyway, anytime we witness or any other area in which we try to live our life according to the Bible or express godly ideas and it conflicts with culture um, or people's preferences or whatever, there's going to be pushback. Second thing on your note sheet is we are in the midst of a battle. We need to realize that we are in the midst of the battle. We don't live on a playground. We live on a battleground, okay? 
Um, the battle's been there since the beginning in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's inspired by Satan. It's fought on many fronts. This battle, okay, letter A, we are opposed by spiritual forces. And we need to keep in mind that even though there are human beings involved, the primary force we're fighting against is spiritual. Ephesians 6.12, Paul says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. But those spiritual forces are, letter B, aided by our sinful nature. Okay? We've got this struggle inside. Um, we're not going to read it tonight, but Romans 7, verses 15 to 25, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, he says, sometimes I really struggle doing what I know is right, and I want to do what's right, but my flesh doesn't want to do what's right, and I'm back and forth, and, and thank God there's victory in Jesus Christ. But we all know what that struggle's like. You know, it's sort of like an army attacking a city, and they've got a group of people inside the walls working against, you know, working against the city, all right? A traitor within. We've got a traitor within, our sinful flesh. And so this battle is not only by spiritual forces aided by our sinful nature, but let us see it's aided by the culture of the world. We gave some great examples that we could spend the rest of the night and a whole other night talking about our culture and how it is anti-God and anti-Godly. Okay, And then letter D, it's also aided by the people around us. All right. So even though people are not our enemies and people are not the primary thing we need to focus on, it's the spiritual forces, but they do work through people. But we've got to keep in mind that they're in bondage. You know, so many times when people do or say things, we may be tempted to just want to retaliate. It's like, oh, God, send your judgment. And, and God will make all things right. But we've got to realize that they need Jesus just as much as we needed Jesus before we came to know Jesus. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why people push back. In this story on your note sheet, bullet point one is jealousy. It says specifically these Sadducees were jealous. The apostles were receiving more respect than they ever had. God was working through them in powerful ways. And there may be any number of reasons, but another one that's a big one is fear and guilt. Fear and guilt. When people are bound in sin and there are other people who are showing that there's a different type of life, it can bring about a lot of fear and guilt. Jesus talked about this in John 3, verses 19 to 21. He says, this is the judgment. The lights come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, God's shined the light in this world, and God and Jesus was the light of the world, and he calls us to be the light of the world, but when... The light comes into the darkness, it exposes all the corruption and all that, and it leads to fear and guilt. Okay? Number three, suffering for the cause of Christ is a privilege. You know, it's easy for us to agree with that. If we were living through it, the level that they were, <laughs> you know, it's like, would we respond the same way? I'd like to believe we would, you know? Um, I was talking with somebody in the last month or so. I can't remember who it was. But they were telling me specifically about a conversation they'd had or something that had happened. And the person really pushed back hard because of the, the stand that they had taken as a believer. And they weren't being ugly or anything. They were just being a Christian. And they were really concerned about that. I said, but keep in mind, that's exactly what the Bible says. You may not feel like rejoicing, but you can rejoice. You're doing something right. Okay? Suffering for the cause of Christ is a privilege. 
I mean, the apostles withstood arrest, jail, threats, and then arrest, jail, threats again, and then arrest, jail, threats a third time, and then beating, and they're going to face beating more than once. And it's going to get worse later. Um, every, according to church tradition and church history, every one of the apostles, except for John, were killed in horrible ways for their faith. And they tried with John. He just, God just delivered him, and he lived a long life. But, um, but they rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. You know, Lynn had mentioned the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I've got other references on your note sheet you can read later. These are all passages that talk about we can have joy in suffering. We can have joy in persecution. Romans 5.3, Colossians 1.24, James 1.2-3, and 1 Peter 4.13. You know, sometimes we think we have a difficulty you know, sharing our faith, living out our faith, but as we've mentioned before, we actually have it very easy compared to a lot of people around the world. So what can we do uh, to stand up? If, if things get worse, what can we do to make sure that we're standing up? And I know we're out of time, so I have to give you these quick. Number four, we can be faithful in the midst of opposition. And we can see it in their example. Um, so what do we see here? Letter A, they believed wholeheartedly in their message. Why did they believe their message? Because they had experienced it for themselves. They had experienced Jesus for themselves. They had seen him risen from the dead, and they knew the change that he had made in their lives. Okay? And because of that, they had a passion and they had a burden to reach out to other people. And that causes me to question myself, do I have that same burden and that same passion? And I find myself praying, God, give me a greater burden. Give me a greater passion to touch other people, especially people that come against, you know, because you want to just write them off. But anyway, letter B, they were filled with God's power. The whole book of Acts is about God's power. Jesus said in the beginning at Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Over and over in these sources, we, stories, we hear them say, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke with boldness. You know, God was doing great things because of God's power. And that raises another question. Do we take advantage of the power that God makes available to us? Letter C. They were convinced that they were obeying God. I mean, they said it in chapter 4. They said it in the passage tonight. We need to obey God. Okay, rather than you. They were convinced um, you know, the Bible says, I gave the verse last week, I think, that the fear of God is a good thing, but the fear of man leads to all kinds of trouble. All right? So, just want to remind you again, we talked about this last week, that we're called by God to obey all legitimate authorities, but God is the highest authority. So we obey him first. In the last one, letter D, they were convinced that God was on their side. They were convinced that God was on their side. And he was. As we said earlier, it doesn't mean that he made everything roses and buffets and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Life is still rough, but God's on their side. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, when he sent his disciples out and said, hey, go out and make disciples, baptizing, teaching, all that kind of stuff. He says, and I will be with you always. Okay? So what does it take to stop you? And maybe something else you can make. What is stopping you now? from fully living out what you know God wants you to live out, from fully doing what God wants you to do, from fully speaking out when you're given an opportunity. We all wrestle with that. But what is stopping us? So, God will help us. And God is, from the testimonies tonight, 
So many people are stepping out of their comfort zones, sharing the gospel. May God help us to do it even better, even more. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together tonight to look again at another episode of Peter's life when he faces more threats, when he faces more consequences to standing up and living out the truth and preaching the gospel. God, may we be inspired and encouraged by his and the other apostles' examples in this story, Lord God, that we don't have it near as bad. There aren't as many threats against us and not as much stuff that people will bring against us, at least at this point in history. Help us, Lord God, to be willing to step out of our comfort zones, to speak up in a loving and tactful way, but to tell people about Jesus and point people to him. And Father, if things do get more difficult, help us to stay the course. Help us to stand strong. Lord, we pray the same thing that they prayed. Give us boldness. But we also pray that you do supernatural signs and wonders to confirm your word. And Father, we just thank you and praise you that you are on our side, that you do give us your power, and you will be with us. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.